Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Christy here in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey guys, it's Beth coming at you from North Carolina. How's it going, Beth? It's good. It's so good. Easter weekend. I'm in my closet. Yeah. I think I'm going to hide all my eggs in the closet. No, they'll come in there. Oh, that's true. Never mind. That was a bad idea. I don't even know where I, why I thought of that one. <laughs> my closet is off limits yeah well the whole second floor is off limits to right. my family I literally just kicked everybody out and I was like you may not come upstairs because if I hear you through any of these walls Easter doesn't happen I like it I hear mine <laughs> actually they're being that loud so yeah oh. well I can't hear them so that's good yeah I hope daddy has a drink down there because <laughs> They're, they're yelling at each other. <laughs> That's what uh, our husbands should be doing. They should be um, FaceTiming or whatever while we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Lamenting these women. Yeah. They kick us out of everywhere and leave us with the children for hours. Yeah, I just said, Emery, I was like, I'm going upstairs in the closet. And he's like, see you in two hours. I'm like, oh, it doesn't take that long. He's like, all right, see you in four hours. And I'm like, so you mm. added time? To- <laughs> I said it doesn't take that long. <laughs> nice of you I'd have been like yep bye yep see ya (laughs) got my drink I'm going bye yep (laughs) so we are so excited this week guys because we have just been released on almost all podcast platforms that you could ever wish for yeah and we googled ourselves and we definitely come up on google give us a google (laughs) give us a google guys we're so excited about it so we had a little party with ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Legitimately with ourselves. <laughs> yes, looking, looking us up on all platforms. It was really fun. So you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts and we're super excited about it. We feel legit. Yeah. And please, please go give us reviews on Apple if that's the forum you're using because it helps us. helps us a lot. Yes, and we love to hear from you guys. Yeah, yeah. It would be awesome to hear any kind of feedback that you have to give us, so. Yes, we love, we love to hear what you have to say. We have a couple already, and it was so exciting for us. Just added to our party. Yep, yep. Um, so anything else besides this excitement that's happening outside your closet? No excitement no. outside my closet, no. It's all, everything is mundane here at my house. I bought a fire pit yes, and a really um, redneck swimming pool to my backyard. Like blow up? No, I couldn't get a blow up one because my dog, I have a big dog and he 
would claw it to death oh, and pop it in like a day. And so I could not get a blow up one. So I found a dog. It's a dog pool. <laughs> <laughs> that you're going to use for your kids? Really Heck yeah, I'm getting in it. I'm getting in it. What? <laughs> How big is it? It's totally big. It's big. It's for, it's, it's an extra, extra large okay. pool. Oh. You know, it comes in sizes. And so it's like a very large, I don't know. It's like two feet two and a half feet or something it's really noticeable <laughs> hmm. they're gonna kick me out of this neighborhood I'm a hundred percent sure it's not allowed hundred percent sure I don't care because <laughs> the pool is not gonna open on time and I need some sun and water so well and they're just gonna have to find me yeah I was gonna say if people are gonna complain about you during quarantine then they just I just need to get a life go in listen they to will in closets don't bother Beth yeah. <laughs> they're gonna complain I'm telling you and I'm tired of like all these people who have pools and I sit outside in my dry hot southern heat backyard and hear their kids happy laughter mm. And splashing, and I'm like, is that happening? Is that happening from my old house across the street that we put a pool in? Yes. (laughs) Which hurts even worse, right? Because I don't. I mean, I don't know how you would have been, but would you have come over to go in the pool (laughs) during this time? Oh yeah, yeah. I want to go to their house. I don't even know them barely. Knock on their door and be like, "Um, (laughs) we have a contract with the previous owners to use the pool when we want to on odd days could y'all get out <laughs> could y'all get out because social distancing yeah, okay please. <laughs> it's my turn step inside for a bit yeah <laughs> no I don't think they like us like that no. well that's too bad <laughs> yeah you worked for McDonald's oh yeah I think I didn't know that mm-hmm. yeah and what like corporate McDonald's, but for real, I hate McDonald's. I feel like no one really admits that they like McDonald's. I would eat McDonald's right now in their pool. <laughs> I would too. If they invited me over <laughs> for McDonald's and swimming, I would be there in a hot minute. Yeah. Yeah. I probably would be too. I'd, I'd make the drive for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From St. Louis. I, um, my daughter, the other day, yesterday, she, in the morning, comes up so sweetly and is, like, cuddling up with me and giving me hugs and kisses, and you're the best mom ever. I love you so much. Are you on Amazon? I was like, yeah, I'm on Amazon. Buying a pool. I love you, too. You're so sweet. She's like, would you get me some gladiator sandals? <laughs> you're the best mom ever. Could you get me some gladiator sandals? I'm like, how do you know what those are? I don't even know. Do you know what Gladiator Saints are? Um, I'm guessing it's the really strappy ones that look like from the Gladiator Times. <laughs> yeah, and they come way yeah, up yeah. your leg, like way up mm-hmm. your calf. I'm like, how do you know what those are? She's like, I saw them on YouTube. Hmm. My my girl I watch on YouTube. <laughs> Master manipulator on your hands. No. And online shopper. Panic online shopper. <laughs> That's a, that's what I do to stress. And did you go to the gladiator? Yeah, they'll be here Tuesday. Well, <laughs> cheers. cheers to her. Good job. <laughs> she won. It was sweet. They were cute. They were little bows. 
Oh my gosh. Anyway, how about you? What's going on outside your closet? <sighs> There's not a whole lot, honestly. I mean, it's just been school birthday parades around the neighborhood that's the highlight of the weeks <laughs> there's one this yes, afternoon <laughs> we had one too oh a kid one or a um one? well he's gonna be 17 so i don't know he's kind of like middle of the road there <laughs> so but yeah yeah kid one but that's like i mean that's kind of sad that that's the highlight of our weeks well I shouldn't say sad because it is like just very simple and I'm glad that my kids have fun doing something so simple because I can guarantee before all this if I was like we're gonna go drive around the neighborhood and scream and yell at somebody for their birthday they'd be like yep that's a hard pass and just sit here and watch whatever show and play xbox I can we make birthday parades a thing after well I I mean I would like to stick to it but we'll just have to see I guess it is very cute like it we like it a lot so especially because the kids get to like hang out the window and the sunroof just acting like a bunch of idiots yeah you know we have definitely been bringing cruising back oh yeah you said that Mm -hmm. for sure it's been a thing it's like so fun for us and gas is dirt cheap right now so we just for real put on the kids can all pick songs they take turns picking songs and we just blast music and roll the windows down and cruise up and down 401 not kidding it's really what we do for an hour or something it sounds fun however i will make a suggestion for our listeners um to listen to crimes and closets instead of your favorite song while you're cruising (laughs) (laughs) am i plugging us too much (laughs) you can't i mean they are actually already listening so I guess it doesn't really do much good for me to plug people who are already listening to us. <laughs> anyway, turn yeah. it up, y'all. So anyway, I love it. Well, are you ready to dive in? Story time. Yeah, diving in. All right, here we go. Uh, we are okay. talking about the Whitaker family today. They are from Sugarland, Texas, and you may. Oh, do you know this one? I know Sugarland. Oh, I did not know Sugarland. I'm sure that it's a band. Oh, oh. are they from Sugarland, Texas? <laughs> hmm. That'd be something to look up. I feel like if they were not, I would be very disappointed. Right. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> but they don't say Sugarland. Oh, it's okay. Sugarland. I'm sorry. This family is from Sugarland, Texas. Is that right? <laughs> And it's a pretty well-known case, I think. So there might be a lot of people out there that know it, but I still found it very interesting. I didn't know a whole lot about it. Um, they, the Whitaker family, and they are basically your typical all-American family. Kent and Trisha, they meet, they date, they get married. They have two sons that are five years apart. Thomas Bartlett Whitaker, except they call him Bart. So I will be referring to him as Bart throughout this podcast and Kevin Whitaker. So Tom or Bart, I should say, is older than Kevin. He's the old big brother. Um, they live in Sugarland, Texas, which is about 35 minutes southwest of Houston. They were a well-loved family in their community. They attended church regularly. Friends speak of them as the house that everyone would want to go and hang out at. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
your house. Yes. Um, I love being that house here for my kids. So um, can imagine what it was like for these people. Um, but on the night of December 10th, 2003, Bart um, had called home and told his family that he had just finished his finals and would be officially graduating from Sam Houston State University. Um, he's pretty relieved and excited and just wanted to go out to dinner to celebrate with everyone. So they went to a popular spot called, and I might say this wrong, but Papa Doe Seafood Kitchen. Um, it is a chain, but it's pretty popular there. Everyone was excited about the pending graduation and Kent and Trisha, right before they went to dinner, gave Bart a Rolex watch that he had been wanting for a really long time. They, yeah, they enjoyed a nice dinner, celebratory dessert, you know, that had spelled out congratulations and chocolate and they took family pictures, not knowing what was waiting for them when they got home. They arrived home and Kevin was the first to enter the home. And within seconds, he was shot in the chest. Trisha, who was right behind him, screamed, oh, no, and then was also shot in the chest immediately. Um, Kent, the father, came running through the door and was shot in the shoulder. And Bart was kind of a little bit further behind everybody because he had gone back to his truck to grab his phone that had been charging in his truck while they were at dinner. And so he came running because he had heard all of this commotion. And he chased the suspect a little bit through the house and was shot in the left arm. And then the suspect then fled out the back door and jumped over the fence and kind of broke part of the fence in the back. So that's how they knew that they had, that he had jumped the fence. Um, A neighbor who had heard the gunshots called 911. And then a couple of seconds later during that 911 call, another one comes in which is Bart calling. Um, Police arrive at the scene. Kevin is pronounced dead. Trisha is airlifted to the hospital, but is pronounced dead shortly after arriving. Kent and Bart both survive their gunshot wounds um, and are in the hospital um, for just a couple days, I think, afterwards, after having surgery and whatnot. So, yeah, so the, yeah, the entire family was just gunned down after coming home from this celebratory dinner. The initial investigation, yeah, it is. I mean, could you imagine, like, you just come home and someone just starts shooting the minute you step foot in the house, essentially. I can't even imagine that. Um, Yeah, and the whole family. I mean, talk about hiding in the closet. Mm -hmm. You couldn't hide in the closet from this, that's for sure. Um, the initial investigation and search of the house showed that it appeared to be a burglary. The house was tossed. There were drawers open in the bedroom. However, nothing was taken. The only thing missing was the cell phone that Bart had gone to get um, from the car. The gun was even recovered. So they dropped the gun and left it there. But there were no prints or scents that had I mean, they had sense, but they didn't have any, you know, hits on them. They didn't know who, who it was. Um, the gun safe was pried open, and it was determined that the family was shot with their own gun. Yeah. Hmm. The police right away are suspicious because the burglar took nothing of value. So 
They're like, clearly this was staged something more. There's something more to this. Um, I mean, he got interrupted. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, that's it, that could have been the case. That is a theory out there that, you know, he could have gotten interrupted and was just surprised by the family and whatnot. But this, the bedrooms were tossed and this guy is like right where they are in the, you know, when they walk in the front door. And so he had he had already tossed the bedrooms and left them and hadn't taken anything. So that was where they were also suspicious. Um. The next day, the, they question, you know, Bart and his dad at the hospital about the events of the evening. Um, and during the interview, Bart mentions that they, you know, go, they went out for a celebratory dinner for his impending graduation. So the police also check into this and they find out that he's not even enrolled in that college. His, yeah, what? he's not enrolled. He's not even in college, but yet he's graduating soon. <laughs> he um, states his status is actually a freshman on academic probation. So when they questioned Bart about this again, he says he needed a break from school and he just didn't want to disappoint his parents. So, you know, he just didn't say anything and he was just putting up this front. So of course this, you know, really makes the police suspicious of him because he's now lied. And so they, yeah, for three three years. years. Well, he had gone, previously to I mean yes he was technically a freshman but he had previously gone to Baylor College for I think a year or two um and then transferred so his status at Sam Houston was a freshman on academic probation um so they immediately inform the dad that they're suspicious and clearly I mean Kent's probably like no way there's no way my son plans to kill his entire family like there's no reason for me to believe this Everything's been fine. I just went on a trip with him and his brother a month ago or so and rode bikes and went hiking and everything's been fine. But um, within the week, oh, not that, sorry. So within the week, they have a memorial um, for Trisha and Kevin. And as I mentioned earlier, they were well-loved and there were over a thousand friends and family that attended the service. They, um, actually had to not have the service at their own church because they were expecting this kind of crowd and they couldn't fit it. So they went to a completely different church to have the service. Um, They um, not long into the investigation, a friend of Bart's named Adam Hip contacted police and told him that a couple of years earlier, Bart had approached him asking him to help kill his parents. Yeah, so now we've got somebody else that is corroborating the what police feel is what happened. Hip even had a diagram of the house that was drawn by Bart and how the killing would go down, like where you would shoot them, where you would leave. There was a diagram that he had and still had. So it was an exact match to the crime that actually was committed on December 10th. So Adam was not his accomplice this time, though. He just came to the police and said, so a couple years ago, he was planning the same thing. And here you go. Here's all the information I have. So they start looking into Bart and who he hangs out with and, you know, his story. And so they start looking into these two guys, um, Stephen Champagne and Chris Brashear. And they both worked with Bart at a local country club. 
So they start looking into these guys. They immediately kind of don't get a whole lot off of Stephen Champagne, but they keep looking into Chris Brashear. Brashear. They had gotten a scent from them when they were questioning them. So they sent the dogs back into the house and Chris Brashear's scent was on all of the open drawers in the bedrooms and on the gun that they had found. So now police have the shooter and he's connected to Bart, but they still had nothing linking Bart forensically to, um, to the shooting, but they were getting a little bit closer. So several months later in July of 2004, Bart must have been feeling the pressure because they're constantly investigating him and coming back and forth to question him. And he told his dad, um, I'm going to go out to the club with my girlfriends. I'm probably going to spend the night there at her house because it's closer to work for the next morning. But then he never came home. He just disappeared. He, had a he actually had a fiance. It was his fiance. I misspoke there. But yeah, he had been dating her forever. Oh my. And they were planning to get married. I believe it was like, you know, within a couple of weeks or not a couple of weeks, like six to seven weeks from July. I don't remember the exact date, but they had a date plan and everything that this was being planned. So, but then he just decides to disappear because the pressure's getting, getting hot on him. So, but dad still cannot believe that his son would do this. He kept maintaining that he couldn't believe that there would be any chance he would do it. But in the back of his head, he was like, you know, there are clearly there's some links here, so I can't completely rule it out. But I mean, who would want to believe that their son would, would do something like this? Well, right. And I mean, this girlfriend, is she aware that he is lying about being enrolled in college and graduating? Yeah. Or does she just know about this whole facade? I mean, yeah, I don't know about that part because even in all the um, research I did, she wasn't mentioned a whole lot. Um, Actually, there's a book that I read that I only found out he had a fiance and a girlfriend through reading that book. So in all of like the reports Mm -hmm. that I read, she wasn't even really mentioned that much. So I I don't know if she knew of any of that. Um, But a year later, in August of 2005, Stephen Champagne, who is also a neighbor. So um, where Bart lives, doesn't live at home. He has his own place. And um, Stephen Champagne is also a neighbor. So he works with him, but he also lives down the street from where Bart was. Um, He comes to police. And he tells police that he was the getaway driver. He also tells them that he can show them where they got rid of all of the evidence. They had tossed it in a duffel bag and into a nearby lake. So he brings them to this lake. The dive teams, they have to, you know, they take a couple of dives to, to find it because it was a big lake. And he couldn't remember the exact spot, but, um, and clearly things could move with currents and whatever. So the dive teams finally recover this bag and inside is a chisel that was used to pry open the safe, ammunition from the gun um, that matched the ammunition that was found, you know, at the scene, um, which was apparently special ammunition that they had gotten that um, would explode upon impact. So it would make, cause the maximum amount of damage to a person. Hmm. 
Um, and two different cell phones, like burner cell phones that Bart had given, um, Stephen and Chris to use the months preceding the crime. And on those cell phones, they were able to, um, even though they had spent two years in the bottom of this lake, they were able to get, um, forensic experts were able to pull stuff off of the phones and Bart's phone had called those phones and they were able to match the ammunition to the gun. Oh. So Stephen yeah. Champagne, he just oh, outed yeah. him. Yeah, that basically Stephen Champagne was wow. the link that the police needed to completely link Bart, Bart to this because without him, they didn't have, they had, you know, circumstantial stuff and, you know, um, Adam Hip's testimony, but they didn't really have anything specifically to link um, Bart to all of this. And Stephen Champagne says the motive was that he was supposed to inherit. million and they were going to get a cut. There's really nowhere that I've found that actually that this would actually have happened. So I don't know if he lied to them about that because even his dad stated that like he basically only had a life insurance policy on himself and it was like for $30,000 or something like that, like some much lower amount. (laughs) So there wasn't much to, to have for them to get from them. So, yeah. Oh, my God. So soon after this, um, a young man named Rudy Rios calls the police to let them know that Bart was in Soralvo, Mexico, which is about 40 minutes from the border of Texas and about six and a half hours from Sugarland. He knows where Bart is because Bart paid him to help him get there, and he was using his identity there. So he was living in Soralvo, Mexico. Mexico as Rudy Rios and but now that there was a reward out to bring you know information about Bart Rudy was like well I need a little bit more money now so let me take this opportunity and get paid some more and I'll turn him in so Bart had uh some really good friends here (laughs) I was just gonna say he got in bed with some rats but I you know champagne will always give you a (laughs) It's so true. So you should have known better. Don't get you involved with any champagne. <laughs> Don't go to bed with champagne because you will get a Oh my gosh, that is headache. so true. <sighs> so he just has a bunch of friends that are turning him, in, turning him in. So he had been living in Soralvo as Rudy Rios. He went to church. He had a girlfriend there. Um, his girlfriend's dad had even hired him to work at their family furniture store. And in an interview years after all this happened, his girlfriend there said that she had seen some warning signs of who he was because she had had a fight with her parents one night. And after that fight, Bart had offered to kill them for her. (laughs) So she had a, she thought he was kidding and he played it off as a joke afterwards, but she's like, "Eh, well, there you go. And that was the true side of him. So On September 22nd, 2005, Mexican authorities dumped Bart at the border where the U.S. authorities arrested him. And so I guess what I had looked up is that the U.S. and Mexican authorities engage in cross-border cooperation when it comes to law enforcement matters. So once they had gotten... Sorry, what? I really love that visual that they, too. Yeah, those they were the words that were used in one of the sources that I had. And I'm like, well, I have to use it. Cause they literally said, we 
Mexican authorities dumped him there. <laughs> yeah, please just dump that. I just figured they drive by in a pickup and like boot yeah, his rear exactly. end out. <laughs> Back to Sugarland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So once once the U.S. had enough for an arrest warrant, they basically just, and knew where he was. They had to contact Mexican authorities and they helped with getting him. Um, and the initial investigator that was on the case was there to arrest him. He really wanted to be there when they got him and to bring him in because he he had had a suspicion all along right from the beginning before there was really any reason to have one. And so he it was a satisfying feeling for him. Bart spends several years in jail awaiting trial, but in March of 2007, he's convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death by lethal injection. The shooter, Chris Brashear, gets life without parole, and Stephen Champagne testifies against him, and he gets 15 years for being the getaway driver. So there's quite a difference in the sentences, sentencing for these guys, typically, like, it's similar in Texas from what I was reading. Like everybody that was part of it gets a similar sentence. So they weren't expecting um, Bart to get the death penalty because he hadn't actually pulled the trigger. So when they, Chris got life, they were, you know, kind of positive that he wasn't going to get the death penalty, but he did. Um. Hmm. You know, Texas life. Right. And they, and it was, yeah. So they they were really trying to avoid that because they knew there was really a small chance of him, you know, getting that communed later once he had it. And all along his dad has been super supportive. Um, Yeah. It's, it's truly amazing. And actually I think I'm going to wait and get into that after because it's all because I read this book that he wrote. Um, But so I'll get into that after that. Let me finish this part. Um, so several others during the trial came forward to testify. Um, and it comes out that in December, so the shooting happened December 10th, 2003. In December of 2000, Bart had asked his two college roommates to help kill his family. So these are the kids that went to Baylor with him. They made it to the home, but when they touched the back window or the bathroom window to get into the house, so, so um, Bart was supposed to, leave the back door unlocked for them to get in and shut the alarm off. But apparently he kind of got cold feet and didn't want to look like a wuss in front of them. So he locked the back door and didn't turn off the alarm. So when they couldn't get in the back door, the guy tries to get in the bathroom window, which his mom had, you know, accidentally left open at some point, but the alarm went off when he opened it. So they immediately fled at that point. So this was a failed attempt three years before that. Then in February of 2001, um, he approached Adam Hip, who you remember had the diagram of the crime. So now this is two plans to kill his family, and then which didn't work out. And then in April of 2001, a couple months later, he asked someone else, um, another person to attempt this murder and it was overheard by one of their friends and she decided to call the police after a couple of days because she was like this isn't sitting well I know they said that it was a joke at the time but I think the police need to know and let them decide that this was a joke and nothing so the police then at that point notified Kent and Trisha that someone was coming to kill them 
Yeah. But there was a whole fiasco in their attempt that caused them to be delayed. And by then they were told that the police were coming to question them. And so then they just put a kibosh on it. Essentially. They were like, all right, forget it. Somehow the police found out. I think that girl went to them. Let's not do this. And so they didn't go out there, but they were going the night that they called Kent and Trisha to tell them the police called. Um, and Bart again, just played it off. Like it was a big misunderstanding. They were joking around about something. Everybody was drinking and she didn't really know what she was talking about. And even the police at that point had decided it wasn't anything to be concerned about. So, Wow. What is this hold that Sir Bart of Sugarland has over these people that they just are. Okay, buddy. Let's go kill your family. Right. Exactly. With, right. For you. So apparently he had been um, hanging out with some people that were kind of a like, like-minded and just down on life in general and were intrigued by this. A couple of the people just said they were interested in seeing how far it would go. That was what the first two said from, the, from Baylor College. They just were interested to see how far that, that Bart would take it. But they were at the window. Like, what were they going to do when the family came home if they had gotten in? Um, and, yeah, Adam Hip, I don't know what his excuse was. But, yeah, like, <laughs> how can you find this many people? Well, he didn't do no, it. I, no, I don't know what um, his motivation was, it, you know, when he had the diagram. And he did start the planning phases, but they didn't get very far in the planning phases. He just kind of said, yeah, I don't think I'm interested in that kind of thing when it got to a point. So, I don't know. But yeah, amazing that he can find this many people that are willing to entertain this idea of killing his entire family. I mean, I, I mean, like when you first said the entire family was killed, I immediately am thinking of like the Menendez brothers, where it's like the brothers who go after their family together. But like he's totally, he killed his brother too. And is just asking these random college friends right that is crazy um, yeah yeah it is it is random it's yeah the whole thing is just crazy and the fact that their parents knew at two years and eight months before or not knew but were informed and yes I know that it was proven by the police that it was just not proven but they determined it was a joke um and not a true threat so you know clearly that's the route you want to believe when you're a parent Two years and eight months later, he goes through with this with his fourth attempt and succeeds with killing his mom and his brother. His dad survived, but I mean, he succeeds with this crime. Um, And throughout the trial, it comes out also that his sophomore year of high school, he um, burglarized his high school with a couple of friends. Um, and they had tried to break in a couple times. Um, and then f- finally they got in and they stole some computers and apparently they just, it was supposed to be some sort of joke and they were going to return the computers when nobody was there again, but they got caught and he had a psych evaluation and the psychologist, um, <clears throat> said that he was experiencing clinical symptoms of delusional disorder, paranoid disorder. But again, the parents didn't really take it seriously or I think they just assume yeah all right this is just a silly um, high school prank these kids they're you know they're they're fine 
but clearly not because he even admits later that around then is when he started to kind of feel hatred towards his family. He just didn't um, like the life he was living. He wanted his life to be different and he thought this is how he could make it different. So to kill them, yeah. that was his motive. Yep. yep. So clearly the, it, this man is mentally <laughs> unstable and has a mental dis- disorder. And again, this goes along with, you know, everybody says all along, like, or all the time is, you know, we need really need to pay attention to mental disorders because if you don't stuff like this happens and his parents, and I'm not blaming them because clearly you just want to think the best of your kids. So I'm not, when I say this, but his parents had that psych eval, they had, you know, they knew that he was just kind of getting into more trouble as time went on and they didn't really do anything about it. Um, Can you imagine if one of your kids broke into a school and still? No, I, I don't even want to venture the guess of how I react to that because I, mm -mm. (laughs) I would be in the front row eating popcorn. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) Like, yeah, that would be, yeah, exactly. Throw the book at him, like (laughs) do something. But all along his dad is just really super supportive and he so he lobbies kent lobbies the state for a decade to get the death penalty revoked he had even gotten the entire family trish's side of the family his side of the family all sides of the family were rooting for him to get the death penalty revoked um but he excuse me he failed and they were scheduled his sentence to be carried out on february 22nd 2018 um, uh, clearly Bart has to go through these like process of appeals. They all basically go through automatic ones. And most of his appeals, um, were denied or not heard. The Supreme court refused to hear it. Um, <clears throat> and a week before he's supposed to be put to death, he puts in, Kent puts in his last appeal two days before the courts recommend clemency. Two days before he's supposed to be put to death, the court recommended clemency. So February 20th. <clears throat> However, the recommendation um, just goes then to the governor and then the governor has the final decision. So the court recommended clemency and that it be commuted to life in prison. But now they have to wait for the governor. Um, and on the execution day, they still have not heard anything. So Bart's going through the motions. Bart ate his last meal, prepared for his fate. 40 minutes before, Governor Abbott called and granted his clemency. And he noted that his reasons were that Bart had not fired the gun. And Kent, in his appeal, had said that he would be victimized once again by having his last surviving immediate family member killed. So the governor granted the stay of execution. So he now sits in a Texas prison for life, but it's the whole story was amazing to me in general. Cause I'm the whole, I'm just thinking like, how could, what could be so bad? I know that this isn't the first time or the last time that some kid's going to have their family killed, but like, what could be so bad? And then also the dad, gosh, he supported him. The entire time. And I, he, I found out through this that he had written a book and it's called um, Murder by Family. 
by Kent Whitaker. And he explains some other things um, about the trial and about the um, crime that weren't in any of the other research I had done. Like in the beginning when he was, you know, determined to prove that it wasn't him that did it, he said that there was a couple of other things that he didn't think the police were investigating. Like the same night, somebody, there was another masked man that had been in the area and had shot himself. And they're like, he wondered why they weren't investigating that guy because he was near the the scene. He had a mask on like the neighbor had reported to the police. So he felt like that guy was involved. And then there was also another girl who was dating his brother or not dating, but was interested in dating his brother, Kevin, who was kind of stalkerish. <laughs> and a few days before all of this, <clears throat> he had gone out with her, um, just to talk to her and kind of explain, I don't want to date you, blah, blah, blah. And she was kind of upset about that. And on the night of the murder, she was standing outside of their house before anybody else was like there wondering what was going on. And none of their other immediate friends who they had contacted themselves were there yet, but this girl was there. So he thought that was suspicious thinking like, well, maybe she had something to do with it. So so just to mm-hmm. clarify does he think that his son is guilty of conspiring to have the family murdered or is he saying that he thinks that he is innocent no <clears throat> no altogether? all along he thought not all along but through most of it he thought he was innocent but then he started believing that the evidence that the police were coming to him with and he's like all right this you know this isn't coincidental this really happened. He did this and he does know he did it, but he is a man of faith and he chose right from the beginning. He explains in the book to um, forgive him and to make sure that he knows he is forgiven and to work with him for the amount of time, whatever amount of time he had, you know, whether it was a week before they arrested him or months before he arrested him or years I'm going to make sure that I just talk with him and read through the Bible and get him to, you know, to the point where he believes that God is his savior so that he will go to heaven no matter what this is because this is what this dad believes um, no matter what happens to him. So he just truly just wanted to preach to his son for the last, however long he had, he had no idea how long it was going to have with him. So he did believe that he did it in the end and also believes that his place in life was, to stand beside him and walk with him and make sure that he knows he's loved and forgiven. And that's what he did. Wow. That is mighty Christian. It is amazing. And I, you know, of course all along I'm thinking this kid is just crazy and he killed his family and how could you ever forgive him? But then after reading the book, like, I mean, he was clearly sick, like mentally sick. And he needed help and he still needs help. And um, like people, people need to pay attention to mental illness way more and take things seriously and make, leave it up to, to the professionals to decide that it's not serious <laughs> and just keep, keep pressing on to help people. Cause I, I don't believe that this kid was just evil. And I'm sure as a parent, Kent probably 
takes on some responsibility for what happened because he did not notice or identify or give help to the mental illness that was going on within his son. And now looking back is like, yes, guilty about yeah, that. for sure. He's definitely had to like go through his own process with forgiving himself for that too. Right. Like what his role was in the leading up right. to him getting right. And he also d- talks about what his role was in like, not intentionally. Um, and what's the word I'm looking for? Like, halting the investigation because he wasn't trying to like lie to police, but like he didn't let the police know right away when he noticed that Bart hadn't come home and he fled to Mexico. He didn't know where he went, but he didn't tell anybody right away because he was just hoping to give him enough time to come back and try and he was trying to find him himself so they convinced him to come back and turn himself in and that he wouldn't be a flight, you know, whatever risk. But, and then there was earlier in the case that, um, they, oh, because of the arrest when he was in high school, he thought that they were, you know, honing in on him because of that, because he had already had a past record and whatnot. And so he kept fighting the police with that. Anyway, there was just several times where he kind of impeded the process and he didn't said, I didn't do it intentionally. And I feel badly for how it played out because clearly they were right, but I was just trying to protect my son and to help him throughout this process. Anyway, it was, uh, the book is very interesting. I, I enjoyed reading it a lot. So I do, I do recommend it. Murder by family. Anyway. Yeah. That's a good story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it went kind of quick, but it just, the twists, like, you know, family gets shot. <laughs> all right, let's figure out who it is. And all of a sudden you find out it was the, son and he had all these plans four separate times he planned this four times like yeah I mean his parents are so naive yeah and these these friends that agreed like gosh usually like you commit a crime and you don't tell anybody because once you open your mouth to somebody well, that's where your downfall is. He had told how many people because he had tried to plan it with how many different people. <laughs> and only one of those people actually came, went to police, you know, when it happened, which was that girl that just overheard things. Yeah, he's like trying to recruit yeah. all of these people. It's like right. Charles Manson <laughs> to, to agree to do yeah. murder. It's like all him. these other people only came forward after the fact because they actually, the police figured out who it was and they were like, well, maybe I can get a lesser sentence or something. I mean, that to me, that's why they came forward. They're like, well, let me give information so that they're go easy on me because it's probably going to come out that he planned this four times. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway. And the moral of the story is don't go to bed with champagne. (laughs) If you learn nothing else from this, this story, that that's the key, key thing right there. (laughs) Take it from my people. Definitely don't have champagne in my cup today. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, that's all I got. I don't know if you have anything else to add. Yeah. um, I mean, thank you guys so much for listening. We're having so much fun. We are so excited to be on these different forums for you and platforms, Apple Podcast and Spotify and anchor and 
what are they all? Christy, Castbox. Oh, you just said. I'm sorry. Apple, Google, Spotify, Breaker, Breaker. Castbox, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. I had a, I wrote them all down. Yes. <laughs> good. That was a good idea. So please go and listen. You can find us on Google, Google us. <laughs> and please Google us and say you did. And on Facebook and Instagram, um, hit subscribe, rate. Please send us a review. We would really love to hear from you. Send us a message. We will shout you out. Uh, send us an email at crimesandclausens at gmail.com. We are so excited to be on episode three and you guys are listening and we thank you so much. And remember that people are scary. The world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closets, y'all.